get you to the phones right now. Pledge at any amount, $25, $50, $75, $100. Is that what you would pay for free speech radio? For voices not normally heard? Indigenous voices? Voices from prison? We have it all here at KPFK. 818-985-5735. Stay tuned for the morning mix. Voices from the front line with Eric Mann coming up. 818-985-5735. We're in our spring fun drive. Now's the time, folks. Voices from the front lines, your national movement building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. I guess we say every week we have a good show because I'm here with Channing Martinez and Julian Lamb and the three of us put together Voices every week. I want to talk to you first about today's show. So we'll begin with a very important commentary by Fareed Zakaria. And I've been listening to his and watching his CNN show, uh, GPS, every Sunday. Fareed Zakaria is very important because he represents the most progressive wing of the U.S. ruling class. And I'm going to talk about the United States can no longer assume that the rest of the world is on our side, parenthesis, as if it ever was. But still, this is very thoughtful, and we're going to play his whole commentary. Then I'm going to refer to an article uh, in the Washington Post called Defend Every Inch of NATO Territory, New Strategy is a Work in Progress by Emily Flahala and Ellen Nakashima. And then third, I'm going to talk about the presidential candidate candidacy of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, which I think is very exciting, and I'm going to read... Uh, his statement on world peace and international uh, relations in full because I think it's very exciting. And next week, I just heard today that Cornell West is running for president. So next week, we will deal with Cornell West's statement. But generally, it means that there will be an ideological challenge to Joe Biden in the Democratic primary, which is very important for all of us. And then we'll be having our friend Nina Womack on from what you see, Multimedia Arts Exhibit, which will be healing the legacy of slavery through the arts on June 16th to 18th, and we'll give you more details later. And then we're also beginning another round of KPFK's Fun Drive. And to support the great unpaid work of Michael Novick, the general manager, uh, he's supporting the idea of doing regular programming and bringing in fun drives into the program rather than having entire fun drive shows. In order for that to work, you have to call kpfk.org and www.kpfk.org and 818-985-5735 and contribute and throughout the show both Channing Martinez and Julian Lamb and I will be encouraging you to give. So that's a lot to take in. I will survive, and I hope you will also. We'll take a break, and then we'll be right back for my introduction to Fareed Zakaria. Mi voz puede volar, puede atravesar. Cualquier herida, cualquier tiempo, cualquier soledad Sin que la pueda controlar Toma forma de canción Así es mi voz Que sale de mi corazón y volará Sin yo querer Por lo 
los caminos más lejanos Por los sueños que soñé Será reflejo del amor De lo que me tocó vivir Será la música de fondo De lo mucho que sentí Oye mi son Mi viejo son Tiene la clave De cualquier generación En el alma de mi gente En el cuero del tambor En las manos del conguero En los pies del bailador Yo Con mi rumba cantaré, seré siempre lo que fui Con mi azúcar para ti, yo viviré As I was following Turkey's recent general election, I was stunned to hear one of the country's top officials, then Interior Minister Suleyman Soylu, speaking to a crowd from a balcony. Jubilant, he promised that Erdogan would wipe away whoever causes trouble for Turkey, and that includes the American military. He declared earlier that those who pursue a pro-American approach will be considered traitors. Keep in mind that Turkey has been a member of NATO with American military bases in the country for about 70 years. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan often uses strident anti-Western rhetoric himself. Before the election's first round, Erdogan tweeted that his opponent won't say what he promised to the baby-killing terrorists or to the Western countries. 
Erdogan may be one of the most extreme representatives of this attitude, but he is not alone. As many commentators have noted, most of the world's population is not aligned with the West in its struggle against Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And the Ukraine war itself has only highlighted a broader phenomenon. Many of the world's largest and most powerful countries in the developing world are growing increasingly anti-Western and anti-American. When Brazil elected Luiz Ignacio Lula da Silva to the presidency last October, many heaved a sigh of relief that the mercurial populist Jair Bolsonaro had been replaced by a traditional and familiar left-of-center figure. Yet Lula has chosen to pointedly criticize the West, rage against the hegemony of the dollar, and claim that Russia and Ukraine are equally to blame for the war. This week, he hosted Venezuela's president, Nicolas Maduro, whose brutal reign has led millions to flee his country. Lula lavished praise on the dictator and criticized Washington for denying Maduro's legitimacy and imposing sanctions on him. South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa, had a reputation as a practical, business-friendly moderate who has strong ties with the West. But South Africa under him has veered closer into the Russian and Chinese orbit. The country has refused to condemn the Russian invasion of Ukraine, has hosted the Russian and Chinese navies for joint exercises, and now stands accused by the United States of supplying arms to Russia, allegations that South Africa has denied. And then there is India, which has made clear from the start of the Ukraine war that it had no intention of siding against Russia, which remains the chief supplier of advanced weaponry for the Indian military. Indian statements about their desire to maintain a balance in their relations between the West and Russia and even China have been so numerous that Ashley Tellis, one of the most respected scholars on U.S.-India relations, wrote an essay warning Washington not to assume that New Delhi would side with it in any future crisis with Beijing. What is going on? Why is the United States having so much trouble with so many of the world's largest developing nations? These attitudes are rooted in a phenomenon that I described in 2008 as the rise of the rest. Over the last two decades, a huge shift in the international system has taken place. Countries that were once populous but poor have moved from the margins to center stage. Once comprising a negligible share of the global economy, the so-called emerging markets now make up fully half of it. It would be fair to say they have emerged. As these countries have become economically strong, politically stable, and culturally proud, they have become more nationalist. And their nationalism is often defined in opposition to those countries that dominate the international system, meaning the West. Many of these nations were once colonized by Western nations, and so they retain an instinctive aversion to Western efforts to corral them into an alliance or grouping. Reflecting on this phenomenon in the context of the Ukraine war, Russia expert Fiona Hill notes that the other factor in this distrust is that these countries don't believe the United States when they hear it speak in favor of a rules-based international order. They see Washington, says Hill, as full of hubris and hypocrisy. America applies rules to others but violates them itself in its many military interventions and unilateral sanctions. It urges country to open up to trade and commerce while choosing to violate those principles when it chooses. This is the new world. It is not characterized by the decline of America, but rather the rise of everyone else, as I wrote in 2008. Vast parts of the globe that were once pawns on the chessboard are now players and intend to chart their own, often proudly self-interested course. They will not be easily cowed or cajoled. They have to be persuaded with policies that are practiced at home and not just preached abroad. Navigating this international arena is the great challenge of American diplomacy today. Is Washington up to the task? So I want to thank Fareed Sakaria for just a pretty amazing commentary. And I definitely want to read his book, The Rise of the Rest. So let me try to talk to you voices, listeners, about where I'm going, where Channing and Julian are going 
on this show. The first thing, it's called Voices from the Front Lines. And I would say that Fareed Zakaria is one of the voices on the front lines. And later I'll be reading you the uh, platform of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is another voice on the front lines, and so is uh, Cornel West, and so are we. Now, the Strategy Center is a very Afrocentric, third-world-oriented organization. And many of our members, the vast majority of our members now are black, although we're multiracial and open to and encouraging uh, Latinx and Asian Pacific Islander and anti-racist whites to be part of our movement. During the movement of the 1960s, the greatest thing was the profound internationalism of the movement. So when black people were involved in the movement, one of the first things that the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee said was, hell no, we won't go to Vietnam. And they said that ahead of Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. King said that the United States is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. And he said, how can I be asked to condemn the violence in the ghetto if the United States is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world? I'll say that 10 times, the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. Dr. King did not say U.S. imperialism. He didn't have to. But all these terms about hubris and arrogance and rule-based rules, this is a code for trying to suppress the People's Republic of China. This is the greatest exposure, line for line, of not just the hypocrisy of the United States, but I would add the grave danger of a world war started by the United States. Because let, let me just go slowly on what's going on. The first thing happening, I think you know, is that the United States is, is beyond declining, is free-falling as a white settler state. It's free-falling as an economic system. Uh, Governor DeSantis just kicked 250,000 people off public benefits. And he's running against Trump. Uh, we'll see who's to the far the right of him. 63% of all white people voted for Donald Trump. For those that were hoping for a women's movement against the great groper, uh, didn't happen. 63% of white women voted for Donald Trump. The Proud Boys, QAnon, and others are running around the country with arms while the Democratic Party tells black people to be nonviolent, which is very tragic. Please understand that this show is not about criticism. It's about strategy. I'm trying to talk internationally because our lives are in grave danger from our own government. We don't have an anti-imperialist, anti-colonial, even anti-war movement in this country of any sort. For those who supported Bernie Sanders, when you listen to Fareed Zakaria, let alone Robert F. Kennedy, I want you to reevaluate him as a social democratic imperialist. And again, these are not words. When you ask Bernie Sanders, what are you going to do about the Jews in the concentration camp? He said, social security for all. And the Jews said, we don't want social security. We want to get out of the camps. When he came to speak in L.A., Channing and I went. And the first thing we saw is we literally started counting black people because the, the group was so all white. And Bernie gave a speech that was completely about economics, nothing about race, nothing about gender. So you have to understand that Bernie Sanders is not just the so-called left wing of the Democratic Party. He's the left wing of U.S. imperialism. He's not anti-imperialist. Again, you think I'm criticizing him? I'm asking you a question. Are you anti-imperialist? Because if you were, you'd agree with me. If you're not, you're going to defend Bernie Sanders for God knows reason why. So we're in a major crisis right now because all the deterioration of the United States is not going to lead to navigating this international arena as the greatest challenge of U.S. diplomacy. Is Washington up for the task? It's up for a world war. That's what's happening. And I'm, you know, again, I don't know how to say it, but I'll just try to cue my listeners in. When I say that I think Joe Biden is a greater threat to world peace than Donald Trump, you think I'm trying to be rhetorical? People are saying that Russia is waiting to hope that Trump gets elected because 
he will get out of the Ukraine. Now, for those of us who know that Donald Trump is a fascist, that Donald Trump is presently, there was an article that Donald Trump is saying if he's reelected, he plans to impose the military dictatorship the minute he gets in. No more waiting for an election. There won't be, according to him, if he gets in in, what, 2024? He doesn't plan to have elections in 2028. He plans to establish himself as a dictator and say that elections are a trick of the communists and the Democrats. And 62% of the white people are going to go right on. We don't want any elections where blacks, Latinos, LGBTQ, trans, the new uh, fetish of the arch right wing. Uh, I'm telling you that if Donald Trump says, I want to set up a military dictatorship to protect white America from the rising tide of black and Latinx population growth, people will vote to end voting. And any effort to believe that the white working class <laughs> can be a, appealed to based on their economic interests denies and defies 500 years of U.S. and European history, which is the white working class is a settler class. The white working class is not a working class. It's an oppressor class that works directly with the white settler state to oppress the Native Americans, indigenous people, to oppress the enslaved, to oppress Latinos. Again, I'm talking, I'm going to get to strategy. These are all building blocks of what are we going to do about it, right? But several more things. China's economy is superior to the U.S. economy. China has lifted 400 million people out of poverty, and I will read your articles in the next week or two about that. But Vijay Prashad has written a great article about China's poverty program. And I was in Newark, New Jersey in 1965, 66, and 67 when they passed the poverty program. And within two years, they ended the war because they didn't want to end poverty. They wanted to end the poor. Again, I'm trying to tell you this means that the United States has no possibility of reform. It doesn't have a reform wing of the Democratic Party. And Joe Biden is a world danger who is willing to risk nuclear war because he doesn't know what to do. China is beating the United States in the world market. China's technology is far superior. China and Russia are building an alliance, and I support that alliance, against the hegemony of the United States. We'll listen to Robert F. Kennedy in a minute, but one can condemn the invasion of the Ukraine by Russia. But as Fareed Zakaria said, if it's so bad, why are the majority of the people in the, United, in the world not opposing it? Because they know that Russia has been surrounded by the United States. They know that North Atlantic Treaty Organization is a military alliance of aggression. As I understand it, there's only one other country in Europe that's not in NATO, and that's Russia, and half of Russia is in Asia. So you get what I'm trying to say? If it's a North Atlantic Treaty Organization that's going to war, and you're Russia, and the only thing standing between you and NATO is the Ukraine, what would you do? And if the Ukraine is making more and more overtures to the United States and saying it wants to be part of NATO, and if Germany has invaded Russia twice, killing 26 million people during World War II. Russia fears a European invasion because the United, the United States and England and France and Germany plan to invade Russia. As I would say, they'll fight to the last Ukrainian to do so. So what are we going to do about it? Well, the first thing is we're going to try to build up the listenership to voices from the front lines because... I'm determined to build up an anti-imperialist peace element, uh, anti-imperialist resistance to U.S. aggression on this show. So the two biggest themes will be the fight of black people for self-determination, the fight of third world people for self-determination 
on one hand, and opposition to the cause of black oppression and third world oppression, which is, as Dr. King said again, the United States, the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. Now, when Dr. King spoke out against the war in Vietnam, I believe one year before to the day that he was killed, the system turned against him in ways that are almost outrageous. I know that uh, Tavis Smiley has done a film that I want to get, which is Dr. King's last year, about how they never loved Dr. King, but once he came out against the war in Vietnam, they came down on him like gangbusters. So the first thing in this anti-imperialist resistance is voices from the front lines. Now, a lot of you out there, I appeal every week, I don't think it's doing real well, for you to get 10 friends to listen to the show, for you to register on VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com and get your friends to register, which means you're going to get a weekly update on the show and you'll get the podcast also with a link by the end of the week. The second thing is to send emails to eric at VoicesFromTheFrontlines.com and say, I want to get involved. I want you to know I'm out there, which is really, really critical. And then our own organization, the Labor Community Strategy Center and our Strategy and Soul Movement Center and our Bus Riders Union and our Strategy and Soul Social Justice Clubs, we are going to build up uh, an anti-war platform in our work, which we've already had. It says U.S. hands off China, Russia. U.S. hands off Iraq and Iran. U.S. hands off Venezuela and Cuba. And certainly U.S. are, again, hands off China, because right now the United States is trying to provoke a war with China by building up Taiwan, which is part of China. So if you're not worried about this in the middle of the environmental crisis and the global warming crisis, you can't reduce global warming in a fascist country. You can't reduce global warming in an imperialist country because the masses themselves become fascists. The masses themselves become imperialists. They're so degraded that they don't care if the world is going to come to an end. They want their stuff. In fact, the more that the environment in some way correlates to black people, that's the end of their interest in the environment because they would rather the whole world end before black people will get anything in the United States. All right, so that is the critique, and it's laying up the groundwork, the strategies. The first thing I'm saying is that the Labor Community Strategy Center wants to be part of an international grassroots movement, and I'm going to take a break. We're going to listen to Nina Simone's I Wish That I Knew How It Felt to Be Free. I play that a lot. Uh, you know, why don't you play another song? I have other songs, but that's just the spirit of the resistance that we're going to talk about. So after listening to Nina Simone, I'll be on part two of my commentary, which is what are we going to do about the U.S. efforts to take over the world, the U.S. efforts to defend every inch of NATO territory, the U.S. war against the world. Thanks, Nina Simone. I'll be right back. It means 
So now what are we going to do about it? It's a very difficult situation because I want to say again, and I think for a lot of black people listening, our black listeners, a lot of our anti-war listeners, our friends in Code Pink, our friends in the anti-war movement, we know Biden is an imperialist. We know Bernie Sanders is not an anti-war candidate. We don't know what to do about it. So here are some thoughts. The Almost out of the blue, two people are going to run who are going to challenge U.S. imperialism. One is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and the other is Cornel West. I'll talk about Cornel West in subsequent shows. I want to read fully the statement by Robert F. Kennedy because it's going to blow your mind about somebody running for president that is not the left wing of the U.S. imperialist Democratic Party. So here is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who has been working with Natural Resources Defense Council as an attorney. It's called Bring It Home. This is his peace platform. You can see it at www.kennedy24.com. Peace. This is Kennedy. In the long term, a nation's strength does not come from its armies. America spends as much on weaponry as the next nine nations combined, yet the country has grown weaker, not stronger, over the last 30 years. Even as its military technology has reigned supreme, America has been hollowing out from the inside. We cannot be a strong or secure nation when our infrastructure, industry, society, and economy are infirm. I'll begin by making a comment before I go on. The attacks on black people. He does not talk about attacks on black people as part of the problem. A high priority of a Kennedy administration will be to make America strong again. Note he's trying to make America strong again, not make America great again. I don't see much difference, but when a body is sick, it withdraws its energy from the extremities in order to nourish the vital organs. It is time to end the imperial project. I repeat, it's time to end the imperial project and attend to all that has been neglected, the crumbling cities, the antiquated railways, the falling waters, what, the failing water systems, the decaying infrastructure, the ailing economy. Annual defense-related spending is close to $1 trillion. We maintain 800 military bases around the world. The peace dividend that was supposed to come after the Berlin Wall fell was never redeemed. Now we have another chance. As president, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. will start the process of unwinding empire. This is critical. We will bring the troops home. We will stop racking up unpayable debt to fight one war after another. The military will return to its proper world of defending our country. We'll end the proxy wars, bombing campaigns, covert operation, coups, paramilitaries, and everything else that has become so normal, most people don't know it's happening. But it is happening, a constant drain on our strength. It's time to come home and restore this country. And then he has a quote here from his uncle, America cannot be an empire abroad and continue to be a democracy at home, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. In Ukraine, this is both uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s platform. In Ukraine, the most important priority is to end the suffering of the Ukrainian people, victims of a brutal Russian invasion, and also victims of American geopol geopolitical machinations going back to at least 2014. Let me stop there. What he's saying is, first, he wants to end the suffering of the Ukrainians. But secondly, he's acknowledging that Russia has legitimate security interests because since 2014, the United States has been trying to use the Ukraine to overthrow Russia. We must get clear our mission is to help the brave Ukrainians defend their sovereignty. Or is it to use Ukraine as a pawn to weaken Russia? Robert F. Kennedy will choose the first. He will find a diplomatic solution that brings peace to Ukraine and brings our resources back to where they belong. 
We will offer to withdraw our troops and nuclear-capable resources back where they belong. We'll offer to withdraw our troops and nuclear-capable missiles from Russia's border. Russia will withdraw its troops from Ukraine and guarantee its freedom and independence. UN peacekeepers will guarantee peace to the Russian-speaking eastern regions. We will put an end to this war. We'll put an end to the suffering of the Ukrainian people. That will be start of a broader program of demilitarization of all countries. We have to stop seeing the world in terms of enemies and adversaries. As John Quincy Adams wrote, Americas go not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. Robert F. Kennedy will revive a lost thread of American foreign policy thinking, the one championed by his uncle, John F. Kennedy, who, over his thousand days in office, had become a firm anti-imperialist. He wanted to exit Vietnam. He defied the Joint Chiefs of Staff and refused to bomb Cuba, thus saving us from nuclear Armageddon. He wanted to reverse the imperialistic policies of Truman and Eisenhower, reign in the CIA, and support freedom movements around the world. He wanted to revive Roosevelt's impulse to dissolve the British Empire rather than take it over. John F. Kennedy's vision was tragically cut short by an assassin's poet. But now we have another chance. This country is ailing, yes, but underneath there is a vitality still. America is a land rich in resources, creativity, and intelligence. We just need to get serious about healing our society, become strong again from the inside. America was once an inspiration to the world, a beacon of freedom and democracy. Our priority will be nothing less than to restore our moral leadership. We will lead by example. When a warlike imperial nation disarms of its own accord, it sets a template for peace everywhere. It is not too late for us to voluntarily let go of empire and serve peace instead as a strong and healthy nation. That's pretty amazing. Now I'm going to make a few more comments, and I appreciate you hanging with me on this. But I want you to hear Fareed Zakaria in full. I want you to hear Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in full. Now, before I move on, I'm going to ask you to give money to KPFK because I'm serious. You can't build a movement for disarmament. You can't build groups like the Strategy Center without KPFK. You can't build the anti-war movement without KPFK. We'd like you to call 818-985-KPFK. 818-985-5735. I'd like you to call and go online at kpfk.org and contribute. Uh, we're going to try to do what we call low-key fundraising, but low-key fundraising means please give the money because I'm not selling you beauty products. I'm not selling you vitamins or... Uh, well, this will help your sex life, actually, listening to the show. But the point is, we want to raise money for the station. So now I'm going to come to my conclusion. This is pretty spectacular in my mind. Robert F. Kennedy, and note he doesn't call himself Junior because he wants to be identified with Robert F. Kennedy, is saying some of the most amazing things against empire. This is an anti-imperialist campaign explicitly. I won't go into today all the disagreements within his argument about how John F. Kennedy was anti-imperialist. I don't think so. But I think John F. Kennedy was trying to have peace with the Soviet Union and peace with Eastern Europe and trying to figure out certain things, except that John F. Kennedy supported the Green Berets in Vietnam to assassinate the Vietnamese revolutionaries. So he's going to write a lot of history to build up his family story. It is shocking to me that he does not mention race. This is an appeal to white voters. And most of the white voters are not anti-war. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was pretty amazing because Bobby Kennedy was tied to the civil rights movement, tied to the anti-movement, or friendly with, and did some really great things. He, he really did. Uh, he lost in Oregon. And uh, they asked him, why'd you lose in Oregon? He said, there weren't enough black folks in Oregon. So black people loved the Kennedys. 
And for good reason, because Kennedy was a, did good stuff for King. Kennedy did try to take on the Southern racists in the Democratic Party. Robert Kennedy Jr. doesn't have a clue about race. And this will be the, devastating to his campaign. So he'll be talking about anti-imperialism, but he doesn't know how to talk to black people who are the most anti-imperialist people in the country. So that's going to mean that Cornell West is going to have a very important contribution to make. Because Cornell West, I'm sure, is going to say what I'm saying, which is Robert F. Kennedy, you're saying a lot of good things, but you can't be weak on black and Latino. That's unheard of. Here's, I want to talk about my punchline about strategy. I think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Cornell West are going to move the discussion to the left and to the black. They're going to give strength to an anti-war movement that doesn't exist. They're going to give strength to black people that want to fight against the world wars of our country. They're not going to get elected. Now, why am I saying that? Because I am supporting both candidacies and their importance, not yet endorsing, because they are going to help build the anti-war movement. They're going to help build the black liberation movement. But let's be very clear. There is no majority vote for an anti-imperialist pro-black president in the U.S. imperialist white settler state. And the system is going to turn against them. The Democratic Party is going to turn against them. The black establishment is going to turn against them. And they will get a certain number of votes and Joe Biden will be nominated. That's not completely a bad thing because... If Donald Trump is going to come to power as a fascist, probably the only person who could defeat him is white boy Joe Biden, who is just, a, you know, good old Joe, working class warhawk Joe. Okay, you've been very generous. This has been my most comprehensive effort to put my own politics together. I think this is very exciting. Go, Robert F. Kennedy. Go, Cornell West. Go. We finally have some people in the race who are going to really talk about race, mainly Cornell. This is Eric Mann commenting on U.S. imperialism today. Hi, everyone. I'm Julian Lamb, co-producer of Voices from the Frontlines and a longtime listener of KPFK. Right now, KPFK needs your financial support. I know that many of our Voices from the Frontlines listener wants to keep KPFK strong and independent. But in order for us to keep KPFK strong and independent, we must collectively support KPFK financially, ideologically, and politically. Please give your financial support to KPFK by calling 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. 5735 or by going to kpfk.org and clicking on the support kpfk label and give a generous contribution so hello queen okay. Nina, how you doing welcome to voices from the front lines yes thank you i'm glad to be here eric i'm wonderful thank you well i've known queen nina uh in many contexts but i know her a lot in the lamert park area she and I had a long discussion about reparations. She has great ties to Africa and Ghana, and she's mm-hmm. working in the black community today. And what we're talking about is why you see Multimedia Arts exhibit, a very exciting program called Healing the Legacy of Slavery through the arts. Yeah. And Queen Nina, you'll tell people more about it, but why don't you first start with the information and make sure they get there, and then we'll talk more about the program. Sure, absolutely. The um, This is for Juneteenth weekend, running June 16th, um, the 17th and 18th in the evening. And uh, it is at Art Share Los Angeles, which is in the Arts District. The address is 801 East 4th Place. Um, and the cross streets are like Alameda Street and 4th Street. Good. And it's a wonderful uh, warehouse that have been converted into an art gallery and theater. And we'll be doing the art exhibit inside the theater. That's very exciting. I might have even been there, but the cross street is always so important for me. I always get lost. So 4th and Alameda yeah. 
is really important. And these lofts are amazing. Uh, now, I see you have, of course, our close friend, Dr. Malina Abdullah, uh, Dr. Curly Bonds. Uh, I don't want to say it wrong. Aqua T.J. Robinson. And, Akua. Akua. Yeah, so why don't uh-huh. you do the other names? Who's coming? So Akua T.J. Uh, Robinson. Well, we've got a, yeah, um, we've got a great speaker lineup. So Dr. Molina, like you said, of uh, Black Lives Matter L.A. And then we have Dr. Curly Bond from the Los Angeles County Department of Mental Health. He's a black psychiatrist that runs the entire uh, mental health Department of Mental Health program. So he'll be coming to speak. Um, Akua T.J. Robinson is a, um, a professor of Africana Studies at um, Cal State Los Angeles. And so she'll be coming and talking about uh, African history and our wellness and so forth because we are experiencing what's called generational trauma or cultural yes, trauma yes. racial trauma which we will get into a, a little bit more on this call but also um we have dr anochi who is a nigerian um out here in in the altadena area and he is also a professor of african studies and a griot at cal state la and he has a performing arts uh, troops, so they'll be coming and also doing some performances from the Igbo and Yoruba uh, cultures, which are tribes in Nigeria. So we'll learn about uh, Nigerian music and arts and dance and also history. Well, I'll be there for some of the programs for sure, and I'm urging our Voices listeners to make this a priority. Um, the let's yes. talk. Let's talk about. Uh-huh. Go ahead, Queenina. Go on, go on. Well, this thing about healing the legacy of slavery through the arts, I mean, the Strategy Center, I think you know, is a a multiracial but overwhelmingly black organization uh, centered in South Central, we call it, and Mm -hmm. at at 3546 Martin Luther King, and we have a Strategy and Soul Movement Center. And we're also doing what you're talking about, which is healing the legacy of slavery through the arts. We have our own bookstore. We have our own film theater and love, Queen Nina, for you to work with us on films. So, And we're mm-hmm. working with black students who are feeling the trauma tremendously in the public school system. So tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about your history going back and forth between Ghana and the United States, and then tell us a little bit more about the program and its theory. Sure, sure. Let me start off by saying I I grew up in South Los Angeles. I'm the third generation. My mom grew up in on Central Avenue and 40 something by the Dunbar Hotel. And so um, I was born in the late 60s and I grew up um, seeing images of black culture depicted very negatively in the media. I remember when I was a child, I used to idolize Shirley Temple. And uh, because I was a child actor and a print model like her. And then when I would see her friends, her sidekicks in these movies, they were depicted, you know, they were like pickaninnies and depicted negatively and they didn't have intelligence. So I remember wanting to be like the white girl with the curly hair who was so talented. And I didn't want to be like those black children who had this crazy braid sticking everywhere and couldn't speak proper English. Then I remember by the time I was in my teens watching the movie Roots and seeing Kunta Kinte get beaten and everybody, and then that implanted in my mind that we as black people are domicile and we're submissive to the white people and that, you know, they had power over us. So I did not have a sense of pride and a sense of culture growing up as a black child in South L.A., Then fast forward, when I was in my early 20s, I went to Los Angeles City College to get my degree in theater because I wanted to have a certificate officiate the, uh, you know, me acting my whole entire life. So I went to go study theater and I had to take my general education requirements, which included history. And I signed up and I went to go sign up for American history. There was like six class offerings and all the classes were full. So I was kind of bummed out that I could not take history that semester. And my college counselor was like, Nina, there is a class you can take for your history requirement. 
And she said, that's African-American history. And I was like kind of boggled because I didn't even know what that was really about. But I took the class. And let me tell you, Eric, I walked in on the first day of class. It was like wide open. Hardly nobody was there but a few students and plus myself. And I took that that semester. And that was the class that changed my whole entire life. Because when I found out the truth about Africa, about the ancient civilizations of Mali and Shanghai and uh, just, you know, Ghana. And when I learned about Mansa Musa and, and all our freedom fighters and, and John Brown, and it's just that Turner, right, the list right. goes on. Like my eyes opened and then I became on this Pan-African quest. Like uh, I just wanted to help uplift black people because I know that we are suffering and traumatized and traumatized because we have not been educated about the truth of pre-colonization in Africa, colonization, and then post-colonization. So this uh, particular project, this art exhibit that I'm doing during Juneteenth weekend is a culmination of all my knowledge and all my artistic abilities to be able to use different art forms to address the trauma behind the transatlantic slave trade and our need to talk about this and, and be open about it, just like Holocaust survivors have had a lot of programming and healing work so they can heal. Well, we as black people need that same healing. And I'm using my skills in the art to address this for this Juneteenth weekend. And, and this is the work that I do and I'm committed to doing anyway. So well, we the, will have, uh-huh, you want to say something? Well, just that thank you. That was a great uh, short summary through your amazing life and you know, at the, I, when I say the strategy, I'm always trying to indicate some empathy, not talk about us, but we just did a major study of how Europe underdeveloped Africa that was just, you know, almost heartbreaking to read. And uh, it certainly indicates the, the history that you're trying to uh, elaborate here. Uh, tell us again more about, for our listeners, because the main goal, Queen Nina, is to get them there is tell us more, more about the programming. I see you have, a, as you say, a, a psychologist there to talk about, you know, I'm sure in, the, in the, the question of the trauma of colonialism. And Tell us more about what the program is going to look like. Well, it's a three-day exhibit, and on um, Friday, the opening night, that's from um, 6 to 10 o'clock, we will have, and, and these, this event is free to the public, by great, the way. Great, it great. is sponsored by the Department of Mental Health. I want a, a grant for applying um, because I wanted to bring this type of program um, to Los Angeles. And so uh, it's free, and we will have complimentary hors d'oeuvres. We'll have a red carpet at 6 o'clock, and then um, soul food hors d'oeuvres, so people are welcome to come and um, taste some good greens and <laughs> chicken and all kinds of stuff. And then, um, and then we'll have a procession, a, a African, open it up with libations, and have, we have African drumming and dancing, and, um, and then the Agungun mask, which is a Nigerian uh, parade-like uh, mask that they wear. And so that'll, be, that'll start off the procession. And then the program of the uh, speakers and so forth starts at seven o'clock. So uh, we'll have Dr. Molina and, and Dr. Curly Bonds and, and Dr. Anochi um, speak, and that will be interweaved with entertainment. So uh, I have actors such as Stogie Kenyatta. He'll be performing a monologue from his one-man show on Paul Robeson. If oh, you guys wow. know, Paul Robeson was an actor. Oh, we know Paul actor. Robeson. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, so well. he'll be. Yeah, so uh, Stogie will be playing, um, portraying Paul Robeson on Friday. We also have uh, another actress, Charlene Monica, playing Harriet Tubman. I have gospel music because there it was gospel uh, songs that that helped keep the African Americans enslaved. Um, uh-huh. Didn't mean to interrupt. Only that this is your last minute. You've done phenomenally oh. well. Uh, Soul food hors d'oeuvres and African dance and mental health. Red carpet. Uh, why don't you give again, Queen Nina, just the information. How can people reach you? And how can people learn more about the program? 
Sure. They can go to the website legacyofslavery.com, L-E-G-A-C-Y-O-F, slavery, S-L-A-V-E-R-Y.com. Also, they can email me at queennina at transmedia360.com, trans, T-R-A-N-S, media, M-E-D-I-A, 360.com. And also feel free to contact me at 877-594-1292 to um, book tickets. I do recommend that you RSVP for this. Um, You can reserve uh, your tickets on the Legacy of Slavery website or email me or call me. Thank you so much, Queen Nina. I really appreciate it. Uh, Listeners, this is Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement-building show, Wake Up and Smell the Revolution. And please turn out for where you see Multimedia Arts Exhibit. Opening night is going to be on the 16th. And Queen Nina, thank you for all the great work that you do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. And just real quick, I want to say where you see is the Swahili word, for black. So this is a black multimedia art exhibition. That's what way you see means, black. Well, that's why you're teaching me stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for everything. <laughs> Look at him. We're going to have a bunk good time. This is Channing Martinez, co-host of Voices from the Frontlines. As James Brown says on Voices, we want to have a funky good time. But that only happens if we all do our part to support KPFK. Call 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, or go to kpfk.org to contribute now. You just heard the voice of Eric Mann on the race to the White House in 2024 and the strategy to challenging fascism by the U.S. government. You also heard Queen Mother Nina Womack speaking about Wayusi, a multimedia arts exhibit with a fantastic opening night, putting black culture and revolutionary politics on display. Where else can you hear such a broad perspective of truly left and strategic conversations, but on KPFK. Listen, I know we all love KPFK, but love is a verb and love is an action. Join me now in contributing generously to KPFK. Call 818-985-5735 or go online right now to kpfk.org. Contribute today. Now, the end is near. And so I got to face the final curtain, curtain. Friends, I'll say it clear and state my case. pledge for Eric Mann and Voices from the Frontline.